0: Letter to the Galatians chapter 5 guess it's a safe place to be new to the Bible even if you didn't bring a Bible just google Galatians 5 and the initials ESV for English Standard Version I'll be reading from that translation you'll want to follow along for yourself but I'll do the rest The letter to Galatians chapter 5 beginning in verse 13 the translator heading over the entire section we're in right now reads Christ has set us free Christ has set us free. And as you find your place, we are back in Galatians. It has been so good. If you have forgotten or you haven't been around for very long, our study of Galatians actually interrupted our study of the book of Acts. We'll go back to Acts in a couple months. But Acts, which is in the New Testament, is the New Testament record of the events that took place. Immediately following the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all that Jesus continued to do in and through his people in the very first years and decades of the church, and right about in the middle of our study of Acts, we hit pause to study Galatians, which is a letter written by the Apostle Paul during that same time period. You might say, in fact, you could say this would be accurate when it comes to our study of Acts. The events that transpired during the first century throughout Acts, when it comes to Galatians, our study of Galatians, we are literally reading their mail. (laughs) We are literally reading their mail. Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the churches located in first century Galatia who have been troubled by, we'll call them the religious establishment. The religious establishment. What Paul calls the Judaizers, or the circumcision party, the troublemakers. The Galatians are caught in the middle of an epic debate regarding a question that plagued them and plagued the Judaizers. It plagued everybody in the first century. It's plaguing us today. What must we do to be saved? What must we do to be saved from the consequences of our sin? Saved from the wrath of God that we deserve on account of our sin? Saved if we want to be blessed by God. If you want to be reconciled to God, what must you do? What must you do? And for, for nearly five chapters, Paul's answer in the letter has been nothing but faith faith receive receive rather than do receive rather than do anything it's not something you do paul has been saying but rather something jesus did and we need to be honest let's be honest for five chapters after five chapters most if not all of us at some point along the way have asked the question some form of the question many of you have asked me is that it (laughs) is that it Just receive. Just believe. It's got to be more than that. What about godliness and holiness and obedience and pleasing the Lord with our lives? We call Him Lord and King. Isn't there something we must do? And if you've been asking these kinds of questions, Galatians Galatians has been doing its job. It should unsettle you by this point. Five chapters in, it's been all what he has done, nothing about what we do. has been doing its job. If you've been asking those questions as I have, preparing us for the end, the conclusion to the letter, the book is going to change dramatically. Here, we're going to use different words going forward. The, the whole thing's going to feel like a change, but it's oh, it's all connected together. But here we go. The page turns. Watch, listen, look with me. I'll read our text and then I'm going to pray. Beginning with verse 13, chapter 5. Follow along. Paul writes, verse 13, For you, we were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love... Serve one another. Verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The very words of God. We'll stop right there, pray with me for understanding, Father, how good it is to be here among our brothers and sisters, assembled before you, arrayed before you, those who belong to you, who have been reconciled and ransomed by you, now quiet, (laughs) from singing and celebrating and greeting and serving, now sitting and listening, reading anticipating you will speak we've come that you might address us so make this moment last use it to change us to save us to instruct us to make us more like you help and pray father i pray you would help me help my friends feed us with your word show us christ we pray in jesus name amen Amen. I hesitate to say, but if I could just say, uh, it's, it's actually my first time in, back in the pulpit since my father passed a couple weeks ago, and uh, all the words seem to <laughs> affect me differently. And uh, so, if I seem to lose focus, it could be you. <laughs> it was probably me. <laughs> uh, hopefully, I'll come back around. <laughs> okay listen i have over the years i think if if i've gotten any older and wiser a little more um, a little more discerning as to what is going on i have have a growing conviction i would say i've even reached a conviction i'm persuaded by now that for most individuals most people especially those who attend church Who identify themselves as Christians here among us we're not immune to this and in the broader church world one of the most common phobias fears that we struggle with that we suffer from is the fear of freedom the fear of freedom I know that sounds odd who would be afraid to be free doesn't everyone want to be free love to be free isn't that what America is all about? Give me liberty or give me death? That was Patrick Henry, right? One of our nation's fathers. But but for the more and more I observe myself, and I observe you, and oh, trust me, we're watching you. <laughs> we're listening to you because we love you, both myself and you, as a church in general, the more I read, the more blogs I interact with, the more counsel I receive and try to dispense of. The more I think and consider and struggle through this life, the more convinced I become. The surprised, I don't know why I'm surprised, though I continue to be surprised, but every time, but nevertheless, we are fearful of freedom. It's a little unnerving. It makes us uncomfortable, whether you realize it or not. It's a little disorienting to be free. Just yesterday, my dog, uh, Mickey, who if you haven't met yet, he, sh- he doesn't come to church, I tell him, because he doesn't love Jesus, so he's not, <laughs> not that you can't come to church if you don't love Jesus, but he's not a Christian, so he doesn't go to church regularly, he stays at home while we go, though during the pandemic, he went to church one time, he was with us in our living room. Uh, but- We were all in and out of the house. We're walking in the house, and we're heading out, and uh, the door opened, and he's normally a really good dog, obedient dog, and he stays there waiting to hear at the door, can I come too, as we all and And we were all just piling out of the house, and I think someone, I'm not even sure who opened the door, but he just walks out with us as he was coming with us to wherever we were going. And it was disorienting for Mickey (laughs) because he didn't get in the car. We put him back in the house again. Freedom is freedom can make us uncomfortable. So so many, listen, so many of the great thinkers of the last hundred or so years, last few centuries, have noticed this, not just in the church. But really, everyone, it's, it's counterintuitive. Freedom's counterintuitive and how we engage with it. it. It was, for some of them, the, the, the great thinkers of the last couple centuries, why they observed that no matter how much we suffer under the rule and reign of wicked tyranny, and you think World War I, World War II, we inevitably, all of us, once we are liberated, what do we do? We find ourselves pining again for another tyrant. Some people wonder if that's what we're doing here in our country one french philosopher i won't use his name because i don't want you to look him up but this is what he said he wrote a lot about freedom. he said people often prefer oh this is so true people often prefer a very limited punishing regime rather than face the anxiety of freedom people i think i do i think you do so often people often prefer a very limited punishing regime rather than face the anxiety of freedom, the fear of freedom. Do you, do you ever find yourself wishing as a Christian in a church that someone, someone would just tell you exactly what you are supposed to be doing? Someone just tell me. You, you've asked me this question. If you think, are you talking to me right now? Or are you thinking about me? Yeah, I'm thinking about all of you. Everybody has asked me this question at some point. I just want to know if or what I am supposed to do. Do you ever find yourself anxious, worried that you aren't doing the right thing or things? Afraid that you're not measuring up to some standard, your standard mostly, or my standard? if you're a member of this church, am am I doing what my pastor wants me to do? Am I doing what my wife wants me to do? Am I doing what everybody else wants me to do? And the joke's on you because they're not thinking about you. They're worried about the same thing. Are they doing what you want them to do? And we're all walking around saying, we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. The fear of freedom. Do you ever find yourself wishing that we, Sovereign Grace Church, had a more defined, concrete, exhaustive list of expectations for one another? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't dance, don't listen to country music. That one is in our kind. Con- no. <laughs> <laughs> rules. Do you ever wish we had rules with which we could measure ourselves? Measure up to. And let's be honest again. To measure other people by. Do you find yourself? Be honest. Be honest with yourself for a moment. How how often, when you hear or read the gospel, the good news of justification by faith and not by works, that the good news that you contribute nothing to your salvation. That all you have to do is believe that peculiar grace of receiving. It's not a doing. It's not something you accomplish. You just take it. That you're free from the power and consequences of your sin demanded by God's law, which is really long and does have a big, long, exhaustive list, just by faith. When you hear that how often be honest how often do you find yourself saying or thinking or feeling yes but yes but and then you fill in the blank yes yes but what what about God's law? What about yes but what about what about obedience? What about being called to be holy? What yes, but what am I supposed to be doing right now? It can't be that simple. Yes, but I have that impulse all the time. Do you? I do. It's almost a reflex. It it, 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 it comes naturally. For the message of Christianity, this is what I'm convinced of. It's so unnatural. The The world feels like it's wired by karma, right? That you get what you put in. That you get what you deserve. And the gospel is karma's worst nightmare. It says the very opposite. Grace. Grace, undeserved Privileged, limitless, conditional, less, never ending, never revoked blessings rather than curses. That's what the gospel teaches, which is what we deserve what you deserve curses for our disobedience and none of us that's what the gospel says none of us but the very one this is all of galatians chapters 1 through 5 no one but the very one the one jesus can satisfy god's justice for every wrong that you and i have ever done none of us will ever do enough none of us can do enough We believe all that. And when we hear it, we say yes, but. <laughs> That's what's so special about this, this little, little passage, this, these few verses right here. It's like a hinge in the book, just flipping right here. So special about this moment in Galatians. Our text this morning, as one writer commented, it's the yes, but, no, duh moment. <laughs> the yes, but, no, duh moment in galatians if you look verse 13 look back there again paul says the same thing he's been saying since chapter 1 verse 1 but here chapter 5 verse 13 for you were called to freedom brothers and we all go yes for you were called to freedom brothers that's the yes but next sentence you see it only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another that that's the no duh (laughs) the no duh for you were called to freedom brothers yes but but what about do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another no duh (laughs) you see this is why i think so many of us are afraid of freedom the freedom that we have been granted it's not that we don't know that there are from the moment we experience regeneration, new life, union with Christ, that from that very moment on into eternity that God has saved you and I for a purpose. We believe that. We know that. And that that purpose is to bring Him glory in everything we do and that absolutely, unequivocally, without doubt includes our behavior as a consequence of that and our good works that he has planned and is part of why he has done what he has done for us that's not why we struggle with our freedom because we're like what do we do with this like mickey outside where do i go (laughs) back into the house (laughs) it's not that it's a no-brainer that's the no dumb moment Of course we are to use our freedom to please God and to bring Him pleasure by being like Him. First and foremost, that's what's there. As summed up so neatly throughout the New Testament, as Paul writes here, no, duh, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for yourself. So why he did this. But through love, serve one another. No, duh, no, no. Our fear of freedom, and this is what I'm convinced of, is rooted much deeper, much deeper in our soul. our desire for our answer to our yes but questions aren't because we don't know what it is we're supposed to do in response. It's located in the very definition of what we believe freedom is in the first place. It, that's where our fear comes from. Why we struggle with this. It's in the very definition of what we believe freedom is. What is this freedom that you and I have been called to? What is freedom? Some some people read this text and they're very perplexed because the second half of those verses I just read sound more like slavery. Servant to your neighbor how does that jive with freedom allow me to offer you two sides of the same coin we'll call it the freedom coin two sides to the same coin christian freedom christian liberty we are free from one side will teach us this what this freedom is that's one side we are freed from something and the other side we are freed to something, okay? We're freed from, we're freed to. Number one, one side, Christian freedom is the freedom from the consequence of and the power of sin. This is what we've been hearing for five chapters. We are free. This is what this freedom is. We are freed from the penalty and the power of of our sin. No more condemnation for those who have by faith received Christ and all that he has accomplished. No more condemnation. The law has nothing on us. No more unmet demands of the law. It isn't as if he paid all of it off, but there's a little bit left. No more looking over our shoulder and wondering if God is going to get us. There's nothing left. The chains that bound us have been loosened. We are, we're free. <laughs> we're, we're free. I, all kinds of crazy stuff's been happening to me this week, and I, and in it, like I said, I, it's been quite a, two weeks, and uh, so I, I read into everything. <laughs> I'm joking, but uh, uh, the, just, just yesterday, I finally figured out why, why we have. Uh, being charged tolls, I wondered if some of it were you guys borrowing my car when I wasn't looking. But on the toll roads, we just get pay, we get tolls. And then I finally pulled up the account on the tollroads.org website and found that I had like 30 transponders. Because if you know my family, and we're a big family, we have a lot of hoopties. We go through cars, like some people, whatever, go through whatever. We, we just have lots of cars in each car. We got a new sticker and stick it on the dashboard. Well, it turns out I still had some leftover transponders floating around, and I was ch- racking up some debt. <laughs> While well, somebody driving that little red Volkswagen convertible has been riding free down to Newport every Friday night. (laughs) Tore the sticker off your windshield. You're still sinning. You're still... You're still theoretically getting charged. Still driving the same car, aren't we? (laughs) But there's no transponder anymore. You're not racking up any debt. There are no unmet demands from God anymore for those that are in Christ. Oh, the Holy Spirit convicts and you feel guilty for what you have done and again i didn't need to give you a big list of things and we'll get to it in a moment what we're what this freedom is frees us to but but i don't need to give you a list you know but and this is the amazing grace i keep checking the account and i owe nothing I've been freed from the consequences and the power of my own sin, the demands of the law. We receive what Christ has done and accomplished. It is finished. Some of you got that tattooed on your arm. I can get that tattooed on me at some point if I ever do tattoos. It is finished. It's, it's, it's perhaps the sweetest sentence in the, in the English language. It is finished finished Christ died for our sins sins past whatever's in your closet it's gone sins present today this morning this afternoon right now and all my sins future that's what we believe it's what we confess It's good to be free. I hear the gospel, you hear the gospel, and we say yes. And if you hear the gospel and you say yes, that's a good indicator that you've received, that you believe.
1: Your heart reverberates
0: when you hear it. Even though you know all around you it looks like you're still driving on the toll roads. But nothing's showing up in the account. Say yes. Yes a liberating truth. If you haven't experienced that, you, you, might, you might be a Christian. You may be forgiven and still feel condemned. That's a real possibility. Actually, I think we could all say, yeah, we're, we're all on that list. I'm forgiven, but my present experience is I feel condemned. This is liberating truth when we can say yes and yes and yes. This is why This is why we don't move on from the gospel. When are we going to get to the the more the deeper stuff? This is the deep stuff. This changes your life. You could sleep at night when you know this and you believe this. You can have peace. You could be made whole. You could be healed. You could be happy, joyful. You have a joyful countenance even if you're kind of a sourpuss <laughs> why Because every day and every night and all day long and while you sleep you are forgiven from all your sins you have been freed from the demands of the law and and the requirements of god's justice Jesus Christ met them all on his cross when he experienced the terror of God's wrath. So much so that Paul writes to the Corinthians, he became sin. That's like what he was. Do you believe this? You, I, know, I know probably everyone goes, yes. But if you put the but after the yes, let me ask you a question. Are, are you as satisfied with faith as the way, we'll say, in which You can receive this you can be saved are you as satisfied with this faith as god the father is satisfied with faith and when we say things like every sunday we hear this at the end and i love it go living in the good of the gospel (laughs) do you find yourself saying yes I'm going with the gospel, the gospel ringing in my ears. Yes, I am satisfied with my faith that you have given me. That's a gift from God itself. Yes. And then just leave. Or do you say yes? But, what what should we do this week so that I can live in the good of the gospel? No. You, You know, if you think about the struggle here, oftentimes, and we've heard, you've heard it in Galatians time and time again, we, we talk about this in terms of legalism. This, this, this desire to be justified, to be justified as in like this is what will prove that I'm right by the law. And I, I was reading recently a list of this is what legalism looks like. He said, the legalist, one author said, centers his life around laws rather than God this is the person that says yes but yes but the legalist is concerned more concerned about rule keeping than the needs of his fellow men there's what a uh, when we talk about what, the person who's struggling with the but so here he goes and he gives a list legalism emphasizes the externals ask yourself this question if you struggle with this legalism majors on minors right worried about all the details legalism develops into a religion of experts that's that's what happens to a legalist A legalist becomes an expert in the law help everybody with the law right legalism tends to make absolute out of personal convictions or man-made traditions and then impose those on other people that's what the person who gets stuck on and isn't satisfied with the reception of salvation by faith alone that's author right. Legalism causes men to sin against the others in the name of righteousness. <laughs> oh. And he's going to deal with that in a second. Legalism is characterized by self-centeredness. Pride. This is what it looks like. The yes but, it can turn into real quickly judgmentalism and contempt for others before contempt for yourself. Are you satisfied? Can you say, as Paul writes, for you were called to freedom, brothers, and say, yes, yes, I have been freed from. But now flip it on its head, very briefly. Flip it on its head. What are we freed to? What are we to, in a nutshell, let me say, we're free. We're free to obey. That's, that's why people will look at this and it can be confusing. I thought I was free, but now you're saying I need to obey. And that's because for most of us, I think, I mean, this is definitely in our culture, I fear, in the, we'll say, in the city, in our culture, in the country, particularly in the West, right? Because we have a wrong understanding of what freedom is. Freedom isn't autonomy. Fundamentally, the illusion of autonomy (laughs) this idea which i get it every every starbucks conversation with me begins with me as somebody new begins with don't you believe in free will and i always tell them, no nobody is free you're not free i'm not free i don't think freedom starts with autonomy listen here's how one right describes autonomy autonomy literally being a law unto yourself Listen, autonomy is the way we moderns think of freedom. We do not not need anyone telling us what to do. That's what it is to be free. How to feel. It's, you're free to feel however you want, right? Who to be. I'm allowed to be anyone I want, he writes. Or even what to be. Now, the freedom of self. He writes, we decide for ourselves. That's what freedom is. We'll say broadly understood as the old definitions we say are too binding and limiting we must get beyond God's law and his words and create our own way of thinking and speaking that's how many of us think of believe freedom means that somehow we are autonomous it's quite the opposite for once in your life <laughs> and then for all of eternity, you have the power, you are free to finally obey. God, you're free to be who God has designed you to be, but you were once enslaved to the passions of your flesh, the scriptures say, to the passions, your own desires, to yourself. You're imprisoned by yourself. You feel like autonomy will create some sort of freedom where I get to determine myself, but it turns out yourself is just another, oh, pitiful tyrant. Stuck with myself. people ask how can i be free beyond the gospel i have no answer you are free how can you be free we are free christians are freed from the law as a way to win merit from god but listen as one preacher recently said tim keller he said we are not free from the law as a way to please god all of this here still tells us and testifies to us instructs us on who god is and what he what he demands of us as one of the new testament writers says he who he who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness that was what we were and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works He has freed us, redeemed us, set us loose as his people to do his good works. It says, Jesus said himself, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Has that ever seemed confusing? If you love me, you will keep my commandments, so I love you. And now you save me even though I'm not keeping your commandments. It's because, flip the coin over, we have been freed from the power of sin. We have been freed from the consequences of our sin. But we have also been freed to please Him by not sinning. Jesus' freedom, the freedom that he offers us, is very different. It's meant to, it isn't meant to indicate that he has in some way untethered us from what is true and beautiful and holy. He hasn't unfastened us and liberated us from what is good. And 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 what is testified in his scriptures when you ask the questions, what about his law? And that's what he's doing here in the no dumb moment, right? The yes but no dumb moment. He has set us free from sin and death and the power of Satan. And this liberty gives us immunity and privileges and prerogatives that no one outside of those who have been freed from Christ have. We are liberated from ourselves. and now able to serve. As one writer said, the gospel does not set us free to indulge us, that we might indulge in worldly pleasures. We're not set free from sin so that we can chase after our everyday everyday dream and desire. No, we have been set free to serve. Look back at our text again. Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Right? That is what this freedom is. From something to something. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. No duh, right? Obviously, this wasn't for my own gratification. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. And is that not profound? The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What is it that we have been saved for? If we capture it in its right place, the law becomes very helpful. As Paul drops it on him right here in our text, Here's how Spurgeon, old London preacher, he says, what, what is God's law now for us? He asks the question, what, what is God's law? It is not above a Christian, it is under a Christian. Some men hold God's law like a rod in terrorism over Christians and say, If you sin, you will be punished for it. And I love Spurgeon. He says, It's not so. It's not so. The law is under a Christian. It is for him to walk on, to be his guide, his rule, his pattern. He says, we're not under the law, but under grace. Law is the road which guides us, not the rod which drives us, nor the spirit which actuates us. And that's the rest of Galatians, the spirit. The law is good and excellent if it keeps its place. Now listen, I'm going to tell you one more, one more author read to you speaking about this relationship between law and love. And this is pure gold. Listen, law, law is thought primarily in terms of specific commandments, especially revealed by God. Is that not how you think of the law, right? Because now we've been saved to obey the law. Saved from the consequences of our sin, the demands of the law, but now saved to obey the law. He says, law is not thought primarily in terms of specific commandments, especially revealed by God. Love, on the other hand, he writes, is viewed primarily as a motivating emotion that is dependent on law. The specific commandments of the Bible. To inform it of its duty, right? It is said that even in the case of Christians, love may want to do what is best for others but it has no idea what to do in the absence of concrete revealed laws that's the no duh argument there no no we know what it is law in the sense of objective commandments is really at the center of godly living this is what some believe and love is little more than a motivating power necessary for proper commandment keeping according to this view and i hope i'm convincing you not to hold this view according to this view it is the law that provides the real substance of moral behavior love merely provides its emotional impetus right it's the yes yes but i need a bunch of rules so i know what to do and then if i love enough if i love god enough i'll do them but listen to what he says but by contrast the bible puts love at the very heart and center of godliness it's is love Really, nothing more than a motivating power that enables us to keep the law as it should, as we should. Or is it a law instead? A description of is law instead a description of love in action? What the law demands, love by its very nature is. Love does not look to a law outside itself in order to discover what it should. What, and he says that it should be patient what does paul write to the corinthians love is patient and listen i can't preach this better than he says it he runs through the scripture love itself tells me not to murder my neighbor or seduce my wife or steal his car Or falsely accuse Him. Supreme love for God by its very nature causes me to give Him first place in all my affections. Makes me abhor idols as an insult to His infinite glory and prevents me from speaking irreverently of Him. Love tells me in my conscience that I should not curse a deaf man or place a stumbling block before a blind man. Love also tells me that in order to protect others from possible injury. Here's the Old Testament. I should build a guardrail around a dangerous roof. Confine a dangerous animal like my dog Mickey. And cover an open pit. Love causes me to share the good news of the gospel with others. Give to those in need and do nothing that would cause others to stumble. Love also tells me to do those things that even Jesus, I'm sorry, that 11, I just lost my notes. (laughs) uh, Love also tells me not to do those things that even Gentiles, without any special revelation from God, know to be wrong. Romans. As we have seen, this includes things such as sexual immorality. Right? He writes homosexuality, unrighteousness, wickedness. You want a list? Greed, envy, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, insolence, arrogance, boasting, invention of evil, disobedience to parents, untrustworthiness, and lack of mercy. Examples such as these could be multiplied. <laughs> in the words of Paul, if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In short, love does more than impel me to keep the law. What Paul is saying here that, brothers, you have been freed, you are free men. Law. Love does more than impel you to keep the law. You are now able to love. Love is itself the fulfillment of the law. You want to list? You want to list? Stop and ask the question Is it not enough? that Jesus kept the list. Receive all of his merits and all of his rule keeping. Receive all of his blessings and the inheritance of all of creation on account of his position and privilege. Receive it all gladly, offered free for you, that you might be freed from you and begin to love him? You want to love God more? Say yes. Yes to the gospel. You want to love your neighbor? Say yes to all that he has done for us. Experience the liberating freedom of justification and salvation and obedience by and through faith. Would you pray with me and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper? Father, we rejoice in our our scandalous freedom, won by Christ and not by anything that any of us have done, not I have done, not the church has done, not as individuals we have accomplished, but simply because of what You have done. And because You have done these things and we have been the recipients of them, united to Your Son just as He is, we are now the freest people in the world, no longer desiring something over us other than grace, and instead now follow You. And as we're going to enjoy the work of the Spirit, the ability to obey, even that we might love. We pray this would be true of all of us in the room. Give grace to the one who's doubting. In Jesus' name, amen.